today uh, we somewhat set our course for the year, uh, definitely in a spiritual manner. We are setting a course for the year ahead with uh, what we look at here. And I know that this morning, I don't know how many of you were here this morning, but I was on the screen uh, in a pre-recorded message uh, that was simply because something uh, fell over here that uh, was going to be a live link. And to the other campuses, it was a live link. So we thought, well, I'll come out here tonight and give you better than a live link. Amen. I'll be there in person. <laughs> and uh, the deal with that is, though, you are going to hear uh, some parts of that message again if you were here this morning. But I do not apologize for that because it'll do you good. And uh, often it takes hearing a thing a few times before you actually get it. So don't switch off just because I'm... You're saying the same scripture and start doing your email or something. Get rid of that device right now down in your pocket. Turn it all off and lean in, listen, take notes. If you're doing anything with your device, take notes on it. But <clears throat> the exciting thing is about our vision for the year, uh, which we are setting. And, and we are going to be doing a few things that are new uh, and different. Uh, but the, the point that I really want to make is where we're going to go spiritually because I believe that that is really going to set us up in, in the most magnificent way for accelerated growth. This year, we are going to grow at a faster pace than we've ever grown before. In the name of Jesus, by the end of this year, those seats up there will be full on a Sunday night. In the name of Jesus, amen, we're going to go for it, we're going to get a wind rushing, a river flowing, and, and, and it's going to, I tell you, Presence Conference is going to be part of the cork-popping moment for all of our congregations around the city. It's not just for our own spiritual edification, but it's for the city of Sydney. So, so I want to uh, start off with this passage in Matthew 16 and verse 17 where it says, Jesus said to them, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, or Hades, shall not prevail against it. Now this is like the prime scripture that has shaped our culture ever since we started C3 in Sydney. This was the scripture that I felt quickened in me as being the guiding true north of what we were all about. And so it wasn't about becoming an evangelistic organization or starting a TV ministry or beginning a care ministry. It was about building the church. We can do all of those things, have a care ministry, have a television ministry and do a thousand and one things like Bible colleges and beyond projects. But as long as they are not the prime thing that we're about, our prime goal every time we come together is to build the church because that is what Jesus said he would build. He didn't say he'd build anything else, actually. He, the only thing he said he would build is the church. And so for me to get aligned with the will of God, for me to get aligned with the heart of Jesus Christ, I say I also will build the church. And so we have committed ourselves to that. And all over the world now, there are literally hundreds of churches that have come out of this congregation all around Sydney. Everywhere, even the one at Cherrybrook that these guys have got started 
out of our church with a guy called Lindsay McEwen, I think it was, many years ago. Do you know Lindsay? You know of him, yeah. And then down the road at Ride, this church here began in these guys' garage so many years ago. Other churches have come out of that. Down in Maroubra, all over the city. That's just the city. The other night we had Pastor Kong Hee from City Harvest Church, Singapore, at our leaders' meeting. And uh, I had arranged for him to speak at our place, then at John Pierce's church, then at Andrew Gray's. And he also had a meeting out at Anthony Shalala's. That's just four of our churches here in, in, in Australia. And so he went to, came to ours and he said, Wow, I'm so tired before I came in. Now I'm so alive after that meeting the other night. And it was a pretty electric meeting. And then uh, he went up to John Pierce and said, Wow, your church is so much. Goes down and listen, Wow, they're amazing. And then out at Shalala's, he said, Wow, oh, these, these guys are slick, they're smart. Great, great churches, but that's only four. Then there's five, another one up at Bridgman Downs in Brisbane. Then you go across to Perth, there's like 15 down the western area there. Then up at Port Headland. Then you go around Australia, there's like this five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. No, it's a, it's, it's a hundred around Australia. And then uh, overseas, another like nearly 300. Like this, you go up to London, you go to, go to Sheffield, there's 10 churches like this uh, under Dave Gilpin's uh, oversight. You go into America, Josh Kelsey in Brooklyn's got 250 already. And down in Times Square, New York, in the Fox News building, we have a church right there in the middle of New York before any other Australians did. You know, here's the thing. <laughs> Not saying anything, but uh, all I'm telling you is that we said we will build the church. We will plant the church. And that's exactly what we've been doing. Every time we come to give and plant a vision, we're saying that's exactly what we're going to do. And this year, uh, we're going to expand, focus our, our expansion mostly around Sydney, Australia. And, uh, and we are not we are really on our, every year on our on our planner, we have at least two churches overseas that we've started. Last year, we started one in Manila in the Philippines with, um, you know, my good friend, uh, what's his name? <laughs> Justin was on our staff for years and years. Uh, Justin Natali, that's right. They started in Manila last year. Great rocking church. But this year, we don't have any overseas churches on our books. I want to pour our resources and focus into this city. So we're going to be starting all kinds of things right here in the city of Sydney. We're going to start in, in Avalon, a brand new service with Jeff and Tracy Berry, a chapel service. Our chapel service in the mornings is so packed, we've got nowhere to put any more people. For the last four weeks, we have had to bring out extra chairs, and there are people out in the forecourt and out in the foyer because we can't fit them all in. It's, it's only one hour long. I think that's why it's so popular. And... Uh, <laughs> And we have worship. It's, it's an awesome thing. We have very acoustic, unplugged uh, kind of worship. But uh, all the boomers have turned up, all the ones who used to be in the band but then dropped out of church because they weren't in the band anymore. You know, uh, they've come back and they're back in the band. And so uh, uh, we've got, we got musicians coming out of our ears. And so we said we're going to start a new one up in Avalon uh, with Jeff and Tracy Berry. So some of them will go up there then we'll, and we'll fill up again. And then we'll start another one in Manly uh, as well. We're starting one in Warunga, a campus in Warunga. And we're starting a brand new service in Cronulla. Uh, James Murray is our EP down there, executive pastor. He's going to start 
um, a uh, morning service next week at 10 a.m. So, you know, people down there uh, who don't want to just go to a youthy night service, go to the sort of a more uh, sedate morning service. I don't know if it is going to be with James. Uh, but anyway, uh, that'll be happening there. And throughout the year, we're going to start, keep planting uh, new uh, campuses in various strategic locations all around the city. And th- let me tell you who is responsible for planning that. Him. Amen. He's on our Sydney executive team, and it's his job. I have a little team called the Sydney executive, and he's on it. And I should say both of you, amen, but I don't want to point my finger at this sweet lady, uh, that he is the guy who, so pray for him, uh, because, you know, you guys are doing such a good job out here, we thought we can use that and uh, put him to good use. So, in this passage of Scripture, Jesus says, I will build my church, but he he dictates two really clever things uh, about how it's going to happen. Because he has just asked them, who do you think I am? And they all go, I don't know, could be Elijah, Jeremiah. You'll never know Jesus unless you get a revelation. You you can't know God unless you get it. And it's, it's pointless arguing with somebody until they get it. I mean, we're all atheists or agnostics or we're lost. We don't know anything about God. We're groping. We think he's an alien or, you know, an elephant or something. We, we don't know what he is until you get the revelation. And everybody on earth is destined to have that revelation because everybody on earth is destined to be born again. Whether it happens is their choice when they hear the gospel, hear Christ's message. And so... He's saying, who do you think I am? Peter gets it. He gets the revelation. He goes, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and he, he says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Simon means hearing. Bar means son of. Jonah means dove. So the dove is the Holy Spirit. Hearing son of, of the Holy Spirit. Because then he says, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. Your own brain power didn't arrive at this conclusion. What you just saw then came from God, came from the Holy Spirit, came from my Father. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say unto you that you are Peter. He'd never been called Peter in his life before. He was always known as Simon. But in a sentence, in one encounter, Jesus changes his name. And says, you'll no longer be Simon. From here on in, you're going to be Peter. You used to be a fisher of, of, of a fisherman, but now you're going to be a builder of the church. You used to catch fish, now you're going to catch people. And he said, I'm going to change you and transform you by that revelation that you had of me. And now I'm going to give you a revelation of you. You don't know who you are until you meet the Lord. And many people that I talk to about coming to Christ, they say, oh, I need to find myself before I find Him. Can't be done. When you find Him, you find yourself. Because He's got the blueprint of your life in His hands. He knew how He designed you and what plans He's got for you. And He's ready to reveal that to you as soon as you actually discover Him. So He turns around and says, Peter, 
you, uh, the guy, this revelation about yourself is what I'm going to build the church on. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So, he, he says, I'm going to build on this. And he wasn't referring to Peter. He's referring to the revelation of who Christ is and who we are in Christ. That's what the church gets built on. And the fact that it, often it's not built on that, I believe, is why the church lacks the kind of power it's meant to have in this world. Because it doesn't know who it is. It feels like it's shabby and poor and unintelligent and uninfluential and a little subculture on the edge of town. And when they raise their voice, everybody dismisses them as irrelevant and out of date. But we need to be in the center of town. And every time we ring the bell, people turn up. And, they, and we start to be that crowd that everybody says, whoa, that's, that's the people of God. They're the smartest. They're the most successful. They're the influences of society. They are the people who really are the church. That's what Jesus had in his mind when he said, I will build my church. He, didn't, he wasn't thinking about some little ragtag bunch of people who are waiting around as a remnant for the second coming. He was thinking about a dominant group of people who rule and reign in the earth who are at the center of influencing this planet for the kingdom of God. Amen. So he says, he said this, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So this is, this is a completely opposite view. To what most people have, you will hear most Christians say, oh, we're under attack. Oh, God, the devil's been after me all week long. Oh, man, you should see all the circumstances. My business is under attack. No, 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 it's not meant to be like that. He is meant to be saying, oh, no, things are bad. We're under attack. We're, we're, we're trying to hold him off. We're trying to hold the church off. We're trying to hold Pringle and the C3 guys off. But we're not prevailing. They're a prevailing church. They are pushing back the gates of hell. They're pushing down the works of darkness. Jesus said, the church that I build, the gates of hell will not be successful against it. That means we are a forward-marching, ground-taking people. And hell can't stop us, no matter how powerful or, or, or strategic or scheming he attempts to be. The devil is no match for the church that is indwelt by the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Let me, let me, let me read a skip, script, scripture to you. Ephesians 1.23 by the message that explains this. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. Please, does the church look like that to you? Not to me. It looks like we're struggling just to get a voice in politics, struggling to get a few people wealthy so they can, we can buy buildings, struggling just to get a few people to open up to the idea that they could be educated and smart enough to train the children of our generation, smart enough to run the business, the com commerce world. Who's the believer who owns a bank? I don't know one believer who owns a bank or an insurance company. I mean, we need to be smack dab in the middle of it all. And it's small thinking that's often in the minds of leaders and in Christians that has kept the church bound. 
You and I have got to bust out of that and realize that we are not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church, and we are at the center of God's plan for this age. When he said, I will build my church, the word is, uh, and I had a, a Greek brother uh, uh, correct me this morning because I called it the ecclesia, and he says it's the ecclesia. And uh, I said, oh, that's good. And uh, right. You just got to get the emphasis on the right syllable, obviously. So, so he said, this is the ecclesia. Jesus said, I am going to build my church, ecclesia. What is the ecclesia? It was a word used to describe people who were called out, separated. It's called the called out ones. Now, it's taken from the Roman Empire, who expanded their borders on a constant military aggression attempting to rule the entire world and they became enormous they were different to other conquering nations and tribes because they wouldn't plunder and wipe out the population and take all their goods and then just move on the huns were like that. many other nations when they went out conquering that's all they would do the romans left everything in place they left the, the commerce even the religious activities, uh, education, they left it all in place. They just had their occupying army managing the, the major affairs and decisions of the area, making sure that everybody uh, paid their taxes because the only way they could man their ever-expanding border with their soldiers was to keep paying those soldiers money. And so they needed to, and they kept inventing taxes for everything. And the tax collectors were despised, like Zacchaeus, because they had like sold out to their own country uh, to collect taxes, and they always collected like 10 times more than they were meant to, and they had the might of the army backing them up. But when Rome issued an edict from the capital city, the Caesar, the, the emperor, wanted to tell his people something, there were Roman citizens in these occupied territories. There were Roman people, like in Palestine, there were Romans there, but they were not all Romans. There were Jewish people, and there were others, there were Samaritans, and they were not Romans. They were the people who'd been conquered. But they were Roman citizens in all these occupied areas. So when Rome wanted to send something, an edict or information or get their feedback and get them to vote on something, they would send in a herald. He'd blow the trumpet. All, all the Roman citizens would be called out and gather together. And then they'd have the right to determine the destiny of that place that they were living in. Because they were the ruling people. They were the Romans. All the rest were conquered people. And that's what Ecclesia really meant. The called out ones. And so when Jesus was saying, I'm going to build my Ecclesia. He was referring to that. He said, I'm going to build my Ecclesia. And when I come to town and I blow the trumpet, I want all my people to gather out of the community, come together, and as you come together as the church, you can pray and start to decide the destiny of the city, the nation, the country, and the people in which you live. You and I are invested with a power that we don't even begin to understand what God has given us as the gathered people of, of God. And in unity, we have incredible authority. And, and agreement, the place of agreement is the place of power. So whatever you do, number one, turn up at church. Number two, stay in peace with one another. If you've got an offense 
with me? Get over it. Amen. I'm a nice guy. If you're upset with somebody else in the church, forgive them. Yeah, but they haven't said sorry. Don't wait for sorry. Just forgive them anyway. If you're going to wait for them to say sorry, it might never happen. And you're walking around with a big lump inside. You call it unforgiveness. No, just get rid of it all. And you know, young, young people, and you, you had a boyfriend, lost a boyfriend, you know, married couples, you hate each other right now. Get over it, amen. Just love. Your kids, you want to sell them, you know, so you can go on a holiday. The deal is, be in unity, and you have power. And that's why the devil is always trying to get, get us offside with one another. But when you get unity, and Jesus brought it down to the lowest common denominator. He says, look, if two of you can get to agree on anything, I'll be there with you. Amen. I mean, it's like a desperate cry. If I can just get two of you down there to agree on anything, please. Get agreement going. Learn how to say yes instead of but. Amen. All right. Another guiding passage of Scripture is in Isaiah 54. It says, Sing, O barren, you who have not born. Break out into singing and cry aloud. You have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Okay. So in an environment of great worship and singing and faith songs, you're going to see people turn to Christ. And, and all of us need to keep that song alive. Do not let the devil steal your song. If you're not singing in the bathtub, something's wrong. You know that. You used to sing in the shower, and now what's happened? You know, it's, it's not, not anything else. You just got to get that song up again. You used to sing in the car. Now you turn the radio on. Turn it off and do some singing yourself. You will find you get filled with the Holy Spirit. But let me tell you, our church has always been devoted to a life of worship. And out of that, we are going to see so many more people come to Christ. I am believing that we will see at least a 1,000 people coming to Christ in all our campuses in this city every week. Every week. Without any shadow of a doubt, we can do that. Even all of our churches around the city of Sydney, Cherry Brook and uh, Central City and, uh, you know, all the other ones. What's that other guy's name down the road there? Um, Richard? Richard? Green, right, amen. And Barta, Richard Barta, good friends of mine, all incredible people. If we get a 1,000 people saved every week, it'll take us 80 years to reach 4 million people. That's too long. But that's our part, amen. Apparently 75,000 Anglicans turn up at services around the city every Sunday. So I reckon it's doable that we could get to 100,000. Not that I'm competitive, but I'm just saying, why not? Why can't we? start to believe that if we got 50 campuses around the city with 2,000 averaging each, that's doable. Is it doable, people? Are you on board? Are we, have you gone to sleep? Are you, are, you, are you thinking, yeah, we could do this? I could do this? You better get your... Get, oh, I won't say it like that. Amen. It'd be a good idea to get along to Bible college. Amen. Get trained, get equipped, because we're going to need every man and his dog. On, I wasn't talking about your wife. I, every man and his wife. That was bad, wasn't it? How to lose a crowd in a second. No, every, yeah, just, just in case some of you thought, of, every man and his wife, and if you haven't got a wife, uh, talk to Hartley, he'll stitch you up. Amen. He'll, uh, he's, uh, oh, it's, it's, she's, she's the, uh, the marriage counselor. 
Verse 2, enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. We've got to become bigger people. And by that I mean we need to have wider arms to embrace more people who are coming in. Now, where, where I live, the, the range of people who live in that area is not as vast. It's, it's pretty big. I mean, we have a lot of Brazilians. We have uh, a, lot of, uh, uh, a, lo- a lot of Argentinians and, and South Americans. We have a lot of, uh, what's that bunch of people who can't sp- you know, speak funny? New Zealanders. We have uh, a bunch of them there. Hey, I'm a Kiwi. Yeah, we, have, we have a bunch of them around there. We have a lot of South Africans, a lot of Brits. Uh, and that, and, but here, you've got like the whole world within 10 kilometers around you. Our ability to be embracing and to love, we've got to get bigger in all these ways because I love the color of this congregation, you know, uh, and it's, it's just awesome to have people from so many different backgrounds knowing that Christ is our central calling unit that, that binds us together, but it's such a beautiful thing to come into uh, an area like this and think, we, we need to enlarge our tent and turn loose every background, ethnicity, and, and people group that we can come across in the ministry, not just to sit in pews, because it says, let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. And I know that Patrick, we need a, another thousand Patricks in here. I saw your little girls before I think I dedicated one of them. Is that right? Just, you just had your baby when I turned up here. I mean, and then there's, we have various Asian background people. We are, there's South Koreans, there are Japanese, there are uh, Indonesians, there are maybe even some Singaporeans and other people there. Every one of you are able to reach out into that people group and bring in thousands of them. I mean, once upon a time, I didn't, I hadn't traveled the world much, and I, I didn't really realize how rich the tapestry of people groups around the world actually was. Oh, then you come back here, and we just look so pale, hardly, and colorless. You know, we've got to wear something bright to brighten us up. Look at Chris, Chris Heiger here, I mean, Lebanese. They're just, uh, you're Lebanese, aren't you? Yeah, just full of color, and got some color in his skin. He's handsome. He's... They eat great food. They know how to eat, for goodness sake. You know, they just run to look at her gorgeous like a princess. You know, we need all of you here to make us look good and uh, to help build the church out of this vast array that God has given us. I get so embarrassed about our government and some of the policies. I've got to say, be quiet. We need to welcome the, the so many faces of God's creation into this country and be happy with it and be embracing and realize how rich it all is. So enlarge the place of your tent. Let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. I mean, be generous. Don't be just eking out a little bit of finance on Sunday offerings. Come with a a released heart. Let the Lewises put their hands on you and pray for you. You'll get blessed in your business and get a generous heart. But watch out. It's a scary ride. Amen. You know, and if you need any, any impartation, ask them to pray for you. Amen. And they'll uh, really bring something great into your world. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. 
as we get bigger, we've got to get bigger. And what I mean by that, I found that when I had a church of 50 people and we suddenly became 200 people, not everybody liked it because they couldn't get to talk to the pastor every week. And, you know, I met somebody this morning in our church. I said, hi. She said, my name's Liz. She was helping us at the door. I said, are you new? She said, no, I've been here six years. I haven't talked to her for six years. This is the first time I ever talked to her. And I said, is this the first time? I've met people who have been in our church for 18 years, and I've never talked to them. That's an astonishing thing. You might think that's bad. No, it's not. I've got a bank of pastors who talk to them all. They're getting looked after. They may not get... That's called lengthening your cords. We can have a relationship even though it's got a lot of distance in it. And I'm not going to be upset as a parishioner because I don't get to talk to the pastor. You know, uh, I'm going to go down to that little church of 10 people and I can be in his face all day long. You don't want that. You'll stay small. That church will stay small. And sometimes it's difficult for pastors to even let the people go and say, okay, let them get looked after by other people in the church. But for us to grow up and to grow, we've got to accept that that's part of the process, people. And, if, and if, honestly, if a person's spiritual health depends on meeting with me once a week, they are not going to grow up. To grow up, you, you don't have to get your nappies changed by your parents every day when you're 15 years old. I mean, if Chris Eichert came in here with a pair of nappies on <laughs> like this, you'd, and he, you'd think there's something wrong with that picture, you know? It was a pastor. I made a mess, uh, you know, and I clean him up and whatever, and that's really wrong. But I have adults come to me and say, Pastor, I made a mess, and uh, can you help me clean it up? And I do, you know, and sometimes these are people who shouldn't know better. They, 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 but the Bible says, look, I, I've got to tell you this. You know, these morning prayer meetings, you do Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we're doing a, you know, similar thing over at Oxford Falls every, every morning, 6 a.m. I tell you, instead of going to the pastor, go to the prayer meeting. Spend an hour in prayer with Jesus. He'll fix it. And if it doesn't happen on Monday, go back on Wednesday. If it doesn't happen on Wednesday, go back on Friday. Honestly, develop your relationship with Him. You can, you've got Him with you wherever you go. You can lengthen your cords on the tent. But he says, then deepen your stakes. Strengthen your stakes. Put them in deeper, your commitment to the house. Because the wind blows on a big structure. Small churches don't get criticized too much. But as soon as, you know, you've got some size and influence, you're going to have web pages created about you. All kinds of critics out there. And, and, and the wind blows and, and you get a little shaken by some of the things people say. Well, deepen your stake. Put the commitment in there and say, no, I'm not moving. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to get shaken or troubled by things that people uh, say here and there. I'm telling you, we're in a war, and that war is extremely real. So here's the thing. Oh, I got three minutes, and, and I'm not even going to get there. That was my introduction, people. Uh, here's what I want to tell you. On your own, you may not be the church, but you are a temple. And... Uh, when I look around here, some of you are going to work on that temple, trying to make it a cathedral. I understand that, but uh, <laughs> hey, it's my eighth message for the weekend. Things get a little crazy. Pray for Oxford Falls. I'm going there. I just kind of go crazy. By the end of Sunday, I'm I'm not responsible for what comes out of my mouth. So, <clears throat> 
real men started around about 36. Some of you are trying to be Superman. Amen. Anyway, here we go. Listen to me. You may not be the church on your own. We're the church when we got, but you are a temple. And this year, my goal is to do that second part of the revelation that Jesus said he'll build his church on. You realize who I am, but now let me tell you who you are. And so this year, we will be pointing the spiritual diet of our teaching and messages towards who you are in Christ and who Christ is in you. So it's Christ in you as the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27 says. So we're not just talking about hope, we're talking about Christ in you. 140 times in the New Testament, says in Christ, Christ in you, through Christ, by Christ. Jesus is at the center of everything that goes on in the New Testament. I want to make sure that everybody has Christ deeply at the center of all we're about. And let me say this. There is something also important with that message, identifying God. He is Jesus Christ because an imposter has turned up on the scene and hijacked that name and performs atrocities around the world with, with all kinds of horrific things, with beheadings and blowing up things. And I know this is kind of like a little edgy for you to hear this, but I'm telling you, that's not God. That is not God. That's the other guy. He has come to kill, steal, and destroy. You identify the, the, the source by the fruit of what's happening. The God who's come into the world has a name, and that name is Jesus Christ. And that's where the rub is, people. And we need to be Christ-centered. And that's why Paul said, Him we preach. We preach Jesus. I'm not preaching just about God, because God can be any kind of thing these days. I'm preaching Jesus Christ. He is the God of the universe, the Creator. And through Him, you will discover all of who you are in Christ. So, just to understand that we were built originally to be indwelt by the Lord, by the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, if you love me, my Father and I will come and make our home in you. And we'll fill you with the Holy Spirit. I mean, I don't know where there's room in here for all three. But, my God, I feel like I'm exploding sometimes with a level of life and vision and energy. But you've got to understand, we fell from such a high state. I mean, most images of Adam I reject because he just looks like you and I. No, he was a magnificent specimen of a human being, the first creation. I mean, his mind had uninterrupted access to the mind of God, full of light and glory. He could see things you and I can't see see all the infrared rays. He could hear at every level. He could commune with the animals and they would understand. He could name the animals. He, he, could, he could, you know, do all kinds. Of, he would have solved interplanetary travel to the edges of the universe within a day. His mind was faster and bigger than any computer you and I could ever have accessed. He had the engineer of the universe in his thinking. This is Adam. I see him as like seven and a half feet tall, not just a little four-foot guy or something, you know, but walking around with Eve, his wife, walking with God in the cool. And then they did what they were not meant to do, and bam, they fell. And everything shut down. And suddenly they're cold and naked and fearful. Horrific. God said, I'm going to get you back. 
to where I originally intended you to be. In fact, I'm going to get you back to a better position. Not just walking on the earth. I'm going to have you seated at my right hand. I'm going to fill you with myself. So the New Testament is about a recovery to a, a position that way exceeds his original intention. But we have the mind of Christ. The Bible says this. And we are so short of that because the revelation of it is not full in our thinking. But God has called you and I to actually begin to believe that there is a truth about ourselves that is bigger than who we are today. I mean, when I look at what truth is saying and what my reality is, there's a big, big gap. But that doesn't mean it can't happen. God says you're healed. You say, well, the doctor says I'm sick. Who are you going to believe? Whose report are you going to believe? He doesn't say you're going to get healed. He says you are healed. It's finished. He says you are forgiven. Finished. But I feel guilty. Believe you're forgiven. Get your brain to conform to the truth about your situation. Get your circumstances to conform. You'll only get that by believing it before it happens. And that's the one thing that will bring truth into your reality, the arm of faith. Let's all stand up as I finish here. Father in heaven, I thank you for the word of God, the power of your Holy Spirit, and I pray that as we blow the trumpet on this message throughout the year, we will see an accelerated, rapid increase in growth of thousands of people coming to Christ all around our city in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Give the Lord a great clap offering, would you? Come on, let's thank the boss here tonight. Great word. Empowering, sharp word in season. Awesome. Fantastic. Powerful word. Why don't you just take a seat for me here for a moment tonight. I'm reminded of Adam, that picture of that perfect being falling and finding himself in the dark falling from the height and finding himself humbled. And what's beautiful about our God is that in that moment, his heart's cry was to restore humanity to himself. And in that moment, as soon as Adam felt the perfect human specimen fell and was humiliated and found himself on his knees in the dust, from that moment, out of God's heart, sprung a vision and an answer to reunite mankind to himself. And in that moment, he, the, the heart... And the vision and the answer of Jesus Christ was birthed out of God's heart for mankind. And what I want you to know here tonight, if you've found yourself, you've fallen from a height and you've found yourself on your knees at the bottom of a well, at the bottom in a place where answers still just out of your reach, well, I want you to know that there is an answer, a perfect answer. The Bible says the perfect love casts out fear. And Jesus is the embodiment and the spirit of perfect love. And it's his very heart, the heart of heaven, that would that love would enter your circumstance, enter your heart, that you would know Jesus. You know, Pastor Phil talked about having the revelation of Jesus, not just in our heart, in our head, but in our very heart, on the very inside of us that our heartbeat would understand the person of Jesus, that our heartbeat would understand that we are perfectly loved, that our heartbeat would know that we are safe and that we are well, that with every beat of our heart we would know that we are saved, not just for this life but for eternity. And so tonight in this place, I want to create an opportunity here. If you haven't seen Jesus, if you haven't had a revelation of who he is, if you haven't seen his perfect face, knowing his great love and the security that we know for eternity because of who he is, then tonight it is but a prayer, a humble but potent prayer 
that invites him to come into our heart, to walk with us, that we would know his life and his light and his empowerment for our every breath, our every step that we take. It is the very heart of heaven that we would walk in sync with him, that we would be in relationship with him. So tonight I ask you just to...